Betamax on the front. That's from the, the movie Big Hero 6. If you don't know who, who or what Betamax is, clearly you need more animated movies in your life. But we are to the task at hand this morning as we make our, our way through this, um, our study through the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation 2, verse to each of them, his, his, his commendation, and then his uh, rebuke or his exhortation. And we are up to the church in Pergamum. This is church number three. And so I'm going to read the passage and pray. We're going to dive in and see what God has for us this morning. So Revelation 2, beginning at verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and to practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold a teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Lord, as we're going to see this morning, we have much in common with the church in Pergamum. There are many, many competing voices of truth and authority all around us. And sometimes it's very hard to discern what is real, what is true, what is wise. And Lord, remember, remember, remind us to remember to always bring these questions back to the ultimate standard, the only ultimate standard that we have, and that is you expressing yourself through your word, Lord. We, we know there are many muddled voices out there, but we can count every single time on your word to be true. So, Lord, give us grace this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you recall, in Revelation 1, John records a vision of Jesus in which it's full of imagery and apocalyptic symbols. And it is meant to convey a picture of Jesus that highlights each of his attributes. And in turn, what John does is, or Jesus does, and John records it, is he applies one of these his attributes to the church to each of these churches um, so as to encourage them exhort them and um, spur them on to loving good deeds and it's an attribute that corresponds to the need of the situation and so here we have to the church in Pergamum Jesus says the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword now interesting thing about a sword when it says two-edged that means that it cuts both ways it's sharp on both sides which was clearly important in battle um, a lot of times our 
knives that we might find, for example, in the kitchen are not two-edged because they're too dangerous. So I was cutting rotisserie chicken yesterday with a very sharp knife, but it's only sharp on one side, right? To keep me from slicing my finger and having to go get stitches in the ER or something like that. Well, here he talks about this sharp two-edged sword uh, means it cuts both ways is in fact the word of God and um, it cuts through everything. There is nothing for, for which the word of God is not equipped to address. There's no issue, no problem, no situation, no amount of confusion, all right? Um, lack of clarity, it brings clarity. It brings um, decisiveness. It, it is, it is um, victorious at the point of contact. That, those are all the imagery, images that we, that we think about here. Ephesians 5, of course, Paul talks about the word of God as the sword. Hebrews 4 talks about the word of God um, as the sword. And we have to ask, why did the church in Pergamum, and why do we, why do they need to be reminded of this? Well, Pergamum was about 50 miles north of Smyrna. So if you look on a map, you can see where um, this letter that John has written would go up um, in a circular pattern. So it started at Ephesus, which was closer to the coast, and then go up the coast 30 miles to Smyrna, and now it's in Pergamum. Interesting thing about Pergamum, we may not know as much about it as some of these other cities, um, but we know it, is the, it was the capital of Asia Minor for the Roman Empire. It was the place where the first um, temple cult was built to the emperor. So that was um, Caesar Augustus in 20, he was alive and they built a, um, a temple so that people could worship him. I think maybe the first emperor to be worshiped while he's living, I'm not, don't quote me on that, but obviously one of the first. It also had a library of under over 200,000 volumes, Pergamum did. And the word that we get parchment for scroll, um, manuscripts that we write down on sheets of paper or, 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 or animal skins, um, this was that they were invented in Pergamum. And that's where the word parchment comes from. So it was a very cosmopolitan place. It was high on tolerance, high on uh, polytheism, high on plurality. And here you have a church that was probably founded 30 years prior, okay? Um, remember, Paul planted the church in Ephesus uh, probably 30 years prior to this. We see that in Acts 19. And this church could have likely been birthed out of that church. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that the this pluralistic um, melting pot of ideas where no one is wrong, everybody is right, in to this vacuum comes the gospel and the gospel preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's preaching, it's preaching the exclusive claims of Christ. It's preaching that Christ is the King and the Lord and, and the only one to be worshiped. And apparently this church had a history in its past of standing faithful. So you see this, they've held fast in his name in prior days even in the days of Antipas, a faithful witness. So, so clearly people had been persecuted for their faith, but and stood fast. Yet, as we see here, the church was becoming doctrinally squishy. 
um, particularly holding to the teachings of Balaam, um, which is an Old Testament um, story. We'll get to that in a second. And the Nicolaitans, and and probably in a, and if we think about the story of Balaam, what was it that that Balaam was tempting the Israelites to do? He was tempting them to intermingle and to make peace with the people and the culture around them, to to sort of to sort of let off let their foot off the accelerator, so to speak, um, and and put aside this whole idea that Yahweh was the only true God. Sure, he's a God, but he can coexist along with other forms of deities and cultural practices. And this, was, this seems to characterize what was happening at the church in Pergamum. Um, there was a drift. And, and, and we understand this because our because we live in such a similar kind of cultural context where there are so many voices, so many competing truth claims, so many different worldviews. And the church, the gospel, um, as believers, we will feel that sort of pressure, right? And there will be the great temptation to relax those standards or boundaries in particular areas, particularly those areas that our culture finds most palpable and to compromise on those things that it doesn't hold to be palpable about the Christian faith. So, so, so it's easier, okay, in our cultural context to be for certain things that the culture resonates with that are all that have been sort of to use Tim Keller's terminology smuggled from the Christian worldview, like care for the poor, injustice, um, those sorts of things. But other things that are less palpable, like um, boundaries and sexual ethics and things like this, um, the church is always going to be tempted to compromise, depending on what's happening around it, according to the cultural pressures that it that it faces. And this is what's happening to the church in Pergamum, and and so Jesus is exhorting them to rebuke. He's saying that if you don't clean up this mess, if you don't attend to your own affairs, if you don't realign your heart with the truth of my word and the gospel, that I'm going to come and do it for you. And as we know from Hebrews, judgment begins with the household of God. And just thinking about how this like applies to us right now. I mean, we're living in a Christian age, um, which is... Um, I would characterize as one that that's always evaluating Christianity in terms of its usefulness, um, in terms of its uh, ability to make my life better, to make my marriage better, to make my job better, to make my money better. Um, is it helpful? Is it practical? Um, and this is sort of a, a pop version of Christianity that goes around that seeks to where there is rub against the the common culture around the claims of Christ, we, we tend to want to rub those away, sand those down, try to make those edges not so sharp. Um, and and what ends up happening is obviously if we do it around one particular issue, then then we've set a precedence. Why not do it around a whole host of other issues? It's a slippery slope sort of idea. In reality, as Jude tells us, that the, the, the faith, the truth of the Christian gospel was once for all delivered to the saints. And it's going to be the job of every era of the church, 
every era um, of the Christian community to uphold those things, to stand right for those things, regardless of what the cost is. Now, it's very easy to cast stones, aspersions at people out there, the culture out there, other churches out there. But again, for all of us, this begins with a battle in our own hearts, right? This is a, the, the word of God is in a constant battle with our flesh to have, um, to have primacy, to have primariness. And so we're all faced with these sorts of temptations all the time. Just think about how reticent we have become to even share our own thoughts and opinions about our relationship with Christ um, in a culture that increasingly wants to relegate the Christian faith to the private sphere. It's just something we imbibe. 10, 15, 20 years ago, we all probably felt a much greater freedom to articulate our thoughts about our convictions, our Christian convictions. But now because um, the cultural pressures around us, it tends to mute our voice. And so we all want to be coming to God's word, being students of God's word, students of his truth, so that we can rightly handle the word of truth, that we can give a defense um, for those who, for those opportunities we have to testify according to our faith. And that can only happen, okay, by being students of the word. Each of us personally, we can't depend on somebody else. We can't depend upon our leaders um, exclusively or our church, or if we're young, our parents or our family, we have to imbibe our own faith um, based upon the word of God. Now, the, he, Jesus ends these, this, this exhortation with a couple of um, promises, and these are excellent. He says, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And of course, that alludes to the fact that in the wilderness, which is where the church finds it, in the Old Testament, um, God fed his people, right? God fed his people um, physically. And what he's saying here is that I will feed you with myself because I am the bread of life. The manna that was physical in the Old Testament, I'm the bread of life, I will feed you, I will be with you. And then he says, I will give to him a white stone with a new name written on the stone. Now, what is that? Well, in those days, um, victors of the Olympic Games, different competitions, they would receive a white stone, and it was meant to give them a pass into a special ceremony uh, reserved just for the victors of the games. And what Jesus is saying is, um, it looks like you're, if church, if it looks like you're losing, okay, if it looks like you're being pinched in from every side, remember, this is only, this is not reality. I have a, I have a white stone for you and it's given to you, um, to, so that you will be reminded, you will be encouraged. You will be assured that I am giving you, um, access into my family and that I am protecting you and that your status is sure, your status is certain. So continue and be strong. You know, guys, we, we even, in the, even in the broader church, we, there's an ongoing debate about um, we need to adhere to the life of Jesus and that sort of gets primacy over everything else in the Bible, even what Paul says, even what Peter says. And oftentimes the Jesus that we end up constructing is really just a Jesus in our own image, a Jesus that miraculously happens to affirm everything we affirm in our popular culture. 
And the reality is that, yes, we need to hold to the words of Jesus, and we need to hold the words to the words of his apostles and the rest of the Bible and the New Testament, because Jesus commissioned his truth to be given to them to now be given to us. And so we need grace in this. This is a huge um, battle point for all of us, for our hearts and minds and our souls. And I will pray, just like Jesus prayed for the church in Pergamum, that we would be faithful and that we will feed on the presence of Christ, that we will take great comfort that we, uh, he has achieved the ultimate victory through the cross for us. Let's pray. Lord, help us now um, to be faithful. Lord, we want to, yes, we want to be winsome. We want to be um, um, a, a city on a hill. But Lord, we, all, we, we, we know at the same time that um, we don't want that to mimic people-pleasing. When in reality, you've called us to walk firmly, yes, humbly, but firmly, confidently um, in the word of God. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would weave your word into our souls today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so tomorrow, back here, same time, same station, to the church in Thyra, Tyra. And once again, if you're looking for that companion Piece, that book, Scotty Smith, Unveiled Hope. You can order it online. You might can find the PDF somewhere. I think we've posted it on the church website or maybe the Facebook page. I'm not sure, but um, glad you joined us. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.